0: You're listening You're listening You're listening You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more
1: If you want to learn about the music industry And you don't know where to go Tune into to WP88.7 Brave New Radio We got managers, producers, record labels concert promoters galore You never know Wednesday at 8 p.m.
0: 101 and more on Brave New Radio. I'm your professor David Kirkfield, along with Dr. Esteban. Marconi. And here we are, Dr. Esteban, with another great version of Music Viz 101 and more. How yes. excited are you? Yes, how are you doing? I, I am doing extremely well, doing extremely well.
2: And how's the weather up there?
0: In New Jersey, it's a cloudy day, but it's been warm lately, which is nice. We're getting some buds and going to get some leaves on the trees. And how is uh, being on assignment in Florida working out for you?
2: Well, we're just about closing out on this assignment. done very well mm-hmm. and uh, probably got about another week here. That's about it.
0: Oh, great. Okay, so by the time this airs on the radio, you will be starting to pack your suitcase. And by, by the time people are listening to the podcast for the fourth time on repeats. <laughs> will be in the air in the car driving back so, yeah all right so should we give thanks we should give thanks yeah let us give thanks to the folks at van dyne bruno ink and white hat management with artists like dave matthews three doors down st vincent kiss and zach brown there's only one place to go for your band's business management you want to go to vb vb sorry hyphen cpa.com when you're ready And at the same time, we want to give thanks to Christine Vey, a wealth manager at the Forefront Group. Christine has helped many professionals in every line of work, in every line of life. Many Mm. investments plan out for their retirement when somebody like you is thinking of building a bridge to your financial future. That person who is you would like to think about the Forefront Group and go to Christine.Vey at Forefront.com.
2: Take the last eye
0: off for savings. That, that is true. And when we say Forefront, it's F-O-U-R, just in case you're thinking of one of the many different ways that could be spelled.
2: Right. we got to get more sponsors. Many sponsors. We're
0: going to, hey, you want to be a sponsor of Music Biz 101 and More? Whenever money is given to us, we actually give it to students at William Patterson University. So right. don't be afraid to sponsors. We are going to have a guest today.
2: Before that, we had uh, a very exciting occurrence this week, and that was we received a blurb from Rowan and Littlefield Publishing. That's right. On their featured new books, what was there, Professor Phil? Managing
0: your band, seventh edition.
2: Beautiful colors, not the brown, but now it is a it's a it's a bright, hallucinogenic cover. Coral. Coral, I would call it.
0: You would call it coral.
2: okay? Yes, it feels like it has uh, some water to it, green and blue. Beautiful.
0: Perfect for, for those of us who uh, go on assignment in Florida. So, yes, okay. seventh edition. And
2: you get it in your suitcase easier. Because yes. it's a little smaller than the six through one edition.
0: <laughs> the six through one, which is the heavy edition. This book is heavy philosoph- philosophically, but it's not heavy on your biceps,
2: sir. No, and it is actually at a reasonable cost of thirty-six dollars, unless you want the hardcover version, and that is one hundred and twenty-five dollars.
0: They're making a hardcover version of this book. Do You think you're worth it? For no, <laughs> I I would no, I get I've I get upset with uh of course in our line of work who
2: put out books. My daughter, yeah, your daughter that costs hundreds of dollars. Unbelievable!
0: No, it's 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 not a uh, a very good business when students. The
2: version is out as well. Well, nothing is really out yet, but it'll be out by July one. They said.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good. Um, so our guest today is Dave Bogan. I'm probably saying his name incorrectly, but uh, Day is the head of third party partnerships at the Mechanical Licensing Collective, and today we're going to talk all about the MLC what it is, what it does, how it affects just about everybody in the music and entertainment industry. And here's Day right now.
2: Very busy man. In fact, I want to get right into where they call you in most, in many of the blurbs, a serial entrepreneur. Do you feel
3: uh,
2: yes. You as a serial entrepreneur.
3: Yeah, uh, I definitely think of myself as a serial entrepreneur, um, even starting before any of my businesses were sold. Um, you know, serial entrepreneur is someone who invests in the, their time and their um, their focus and their money into their ideas and try to build a business around it and try to convert that business to a company and then try to scale that company. So um, I've done that many times and failed many times. And that's what makes it serial. <laughs> uh,
2: so you came out of Northridge with an M.A. And what did you think you were going to do?
3: Uh, well, I'd already been doing um I'd already been doing what I was going to do. Uh, you know, going to Northridge was um, uh, was really uh, a way to uh, really you know bring some sort of cred- credential around my expertise in music rights. Um, mm-hmm. I'd already been working in the music rights space. Um, I was already the founder of a, a music tech company. Um, while I was getting my master's, I was also teaching um, at Emerson College. Um, so um, it was a way to further my education in music. Uh, industry administration, which is what—that's the master's program—but uh, right. also a way to provide um, um, some sort of validated credential around my expertise, because there's no credential um, in in you know music rights. Um, there's a ton of experts who've learned from their work and um, their own um, experiences, but um, there's not a you know, bachelor's in, in music right. administration, for example. There's music business, um, right. which is much broader than music publishing and copyright administration. And then there's you know uh, entertainment law, uh, which is still much broader um, than specifically music publishing and copyright administration, which is my expertise.
2: Yeah, so we, we have an MBA here in music and entertainment management, they call it. Right. We offer that as well. Um, so how did you get, uh, what, why did you get interested in licensing?
3: Um, it sort of happened, organically um i came to los angeles almost 18 years ago as an aspiring artist Um, so that was my goal to be um, an artist like you know a lot of the artists come out here as an 18 year old um and i had already had some exposure to the concept of a record label and a publishing company and a management company because my dad uh, was a music industry entrepreneur um, in cleveland ohio from ohio uh, so I'd already had exposure to the concept of these different types of companies that w- were to build and support an artist's career um, I also had some exposure to uh, agreements and sort of the relationship between you know, creators and these companies um, what I did not I did not have exposure to is you know the way that music was monetized um, or I was not involved in that right so um, eventually uh, kind of sort of fast forward um, I started managing artists uh, as opposed to trying to be the artist I, I, I was the one that a lot of friends, my peers who would come to about questions about the music business, because they were, they were young and didn't have managers and, or lawyers. And um, I had some exposure, so I gave some very sort of elementary um, um, insights into business. And eventually that evolved um, a couple with some other stuff I was doing, such as promoting clubs, that evolved into managing DJs, and DJs evolved into managing producers, and I evolved into managing artists. And as I've managed music, essentially, Um, you know, I started looking into getting that music placed in film and TV and learned more about sync um, and sync licensing and the um, various components of those deals and the provisions of a a sync agreement. Um, So that was when I first started to look into, you know, understanding that music had to be registered with ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC, and that there needed to be music registered for copyright registration. And so I started to learn about registrations and metadata. um, And um, eventually I built a I started a publishing company and a independent label, um, primarily to promote the music of the artists I was managing, um, and that exposed me to more stuff, like understanding the difference between a master copyright and musical work. Um, so this was all in my early twenties, like way before I went to to grad school. Um, I started my management company as a senior at UCLA. Um, so by the time, uh, I, and then eventually I sort of, uh, you know, still had a day, you know, kind of day job, you know, to pay the bills because doing music managing artists as you're not really making that much money um, uh, in my primary job i was the head of uh, marketing and strategic partnerships of a retail chain and there i developed their music division and that included um, selling cds at the store doing uh, in-store meeting greets with artists um, producing music experiences in our malls and, and parking lots and uh, doing tours with brands and it also included Um, overseeing all the music programming in our stores like our our, our TVs where people go and watch music videos Um, and through that experience I I, I developed um, a concept for um, in-store music video network um, and ended up launching that as my first music tech company and was programming music in retail stores across the country and that was where I started doing licensing uh, with the labels and the publishers and you know at PROs and diving deeper into understanding the the disconnect between what I was, the information I was getting from um, labels and uh, managers in regards to the music versus what I was asked to provide to PROs um, to be able to back up the the license fees that I was paying as a service. But also since I was managing artists, I was able to see that we weren't getting certain information as a uh, a creator that uh, was being provided from the service to the, you know, to the CMO. Um, So I was able to see both sides as a licensee and a licensor, Um, as someone who represented a catalog and then someone who licensed the catalog for use and and, in store music video networks. I started to see all these gaps and that's what sparked me to go and get a master's is um, in music industry administration Um, is because I was able to identify clearly that there was a lot of gaps between the, um, and, and the ecosystem that ultimately led to my creators, my clientele not getting paid. Um, partially not getting paid because the way that music was licensed in some ways didn't really account for the way that the music so the, the way that the royalties were calculated didn't really account for the way the music was actually used uh, for example you know my service uh, we worked with independent songwriters uh, so if I'm paying into a general fund um, like like into a uh, and and that general fund is calculating radio broadcast airplay to pay that fund out and they're not looking at you know my actual log sheets for my for the actual store that I put music into then those independent artists are not getting paid but, but rather their royalties are getting paid to a major artist whose music is getting a lot of traction on the radio
2: right. so
3: I you know that was hit home for me because I'm representing as a manager and a label I'm representing independent artists whose music are being performed in, in front of millions of eyeballs in retail stores across the country but the royalties from that goes into a general fund that's being distributed by broadcast Radio market share for uh, you know for artists, uh, so that was just one one little thing, and I started to identify other things um, such as you know, um, black box, and started diving you know into doing research into the, the idea of black box royalties, and that led me to founding a company called Royalty Claim um, Tune Registry, the company I founded, which was to help songwriters and artists register their works. Um, with all the societies, because as a songwriter manager, I was, it was a lot of work for me to go and register with every place, make sure it was all done. I created a worksheet that I would check off, basically a checklist. That I would check off for every single song. It was called the song processing checklist, and I still have it. And I made it in 2011, um, but it was or 2010. It was it was every song that we, my artists, would, would work on. I would have this checklist of things I needed to do, and that checklist kept growing. Um, as I learned, discovered more places like AARC, Alliance of Artists and Record Companies, and then I learned about the AFM Secaptra Intellectual Property Rights Distribution Fund, and then I learned about this this Sound Recording Special Payments Fund, and I learned about you know all these different places. That I, the list kept growing because I had to go and register this music everywhere, and there was no one-stop shop to do that. And that's why I created Tune Registry, which was the First, really world's first one-stop shop to register across all of these US music rights organizations from one dashboard. Um, and I took a lot of work and a lot of convincing the um, you know, societies that um, um, that they should work with us, right? Because we have to provide them data that has to be authoritative. Um, and they have to accept it and, and re- register it into the repertoire um, as authoritative. So. That experience uh, was, was, was very interesting. I started working on, on that um, um, while I was in college. So, while, while I was in grad school, um, and, and then, then it can kind of expand it from there into the unclaimed royalties space, the, the black box royalty space, and learning about how DSPs licensed musical works and are broken, Section 115 um, NOI uh, reporting or, or, notification process, um, you know, did some research into that and, and, built a tool, uh, for songwriters and publishers to be able to search, um, NOIs and the notice of intentions, um, notice of intent, which is what DSPs up until the, the MMA passed were required to, um, uh, send to copyright owners when they were, you know, to, to secure a compulsory mechanical license. So all of this research, um, was primarily independent research outside of my degree program, but influenced by some of the areas I was introduced to um, as a manager, as a young artist manager, as a young songwriter manager, um, was a very small boutique publisher and label um, in my early 20s. Um, so it was certainly a very organic flow. It wasn't like I laid out a map of what I wanted to do. I came to Los Angeles in 2003. I was homeless and unemployed and didn't know anyone. And that, was, that goal was specifically to be an artist. And 18, and 17 years later, I'm now an executive at the MLC, helping emerging artists you know, navigate this space and obviously introducing the United States to the, to the first you know, US distribution of mechanical royalties, which we're doing this month, which is super historic and exciting.
2: Yeah, I'm, I was just, we talk about this for years. Is there ever going to be a one shop one-stop shop where the songwriter or artist songwriter whatever can go and be covered for everything and of course uh being in new york we've been to several meetings i think the first one was over 10 years ago where it was uh, downtown in the east village in uh one of these hotels and someone from ascap someone from um everybody it was a harry fox so on and they could never agree that there would ever be anything like that occur so this is great if you can get it off the ground I mean uh, it major accomplishment.
3: Thank you yeah I mean uh, uh, MLC is is obviously a historic um, sort of paradigm shift in the music industry Um, I'm just obviously lucky to be a part of it Um, it's been very interesting because obviously we're standing up an organization during the pandemic so there's no you know playbook on how to you know build a music rights organization when you can't uh, see any of your your colleagues in person now everyone's dealing with you know, you know having their work life um, interrupted with being distributed or work from home the difference is that we never worked together in the team before so so you know we so even though it's been it'll be a year come may 1st i've been at the mlc and i've not met any of my uh, co-workers in person um, and we've we've when i joined i believe we were we're around somewhere in the teens, I think as far as number of people, I think we're probably around, probably around early 20 people or so. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're over 70, I believe. Um, so, you know, we've been growing um, as an organization, but it, it's it, it's really interesting because we have a very important task, uh, not only to match and distribute that uh, the black box of $424 million in uh, historical yeah. unpaid mechanical royalties, yeah. uh, but also to you know, launch this new process starting this month and going forward of paying on a monthly basis U.S. Mechanical Royalties for Interactive Streams. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that's a paradigm shift for um, if, a, if for a publisher who's used to kind of piecemealing their mechanical uh, business together through various intermediaries and agents and third parties and uh, uh, sub-publishers. Um, and now there's a source um, to sort of consolidate um, you know, one type of use, which is interactive streams and and digital downloads, but you know that I'm not sure a lot of that's going to be covered or or uh, done under the blanket. Um, and also, for me, more importantly, it's for self-administered songwriters who have, for decades, left their money on the table because they just simply had no no way no way. knowledge or method of of you know a- effectively collecting. Uh, this money Um, when I found a tune registry um, we were able to work with um, Harry Fox and music reports to enable independent self-administered songwriters to to sign up and register their works and start to get paid and I would love seeing songwriters super excited emailing me with their when they get their first checks um, thousands of dollars in back pay Um, so that was really exciting to see that at tune registry now we're going to do that with MLC at a much bigger scale Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. So is, is uh, Harry Fox, CSEC, they on your side? They
3: like this? Well, you have asked them. Um, well, Harry Fox and CSEC, well, Harry Fox is, the, is a vendor of the MLC. So not only are they on our side, they're, you know, they're intimately involved um, with standing up the MLC. Um, we, they were announced as the MLC's vendor back in 2019 actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we work with Harry Fox very closely. Um, CSAC owns Harry Fox, so you know that relationship um, you know, is, is, is dynamic. Um, but um, you know, we are a standalone organization. Um, Harry Fox has provided a lot of support um, in the uh, initial you know, d- development of our database um, because we acquired their database. Um, and then you know, helping advise a little bit around our um, uh, sort of structure and op- operationally. Uh, but ultimately, you know, it's the team that we're building at the MLC that oversees and makes the decisions and executes um, our operations.
2: Mm-hmm. No, you nonprofit.
3: The MLC is a nonprofit, <laughs> and one hundred percent of the royalties that are due to songwriters and publishers are paid with no administration fee on top, uh, no commission. So, if you make you know a thousand bucks one month off of off of Spotify, and that they send that to us, then we pass that directly to you, um, and. Um, you know, we don't take any commission off of the top.
2: hmm
3: great. Dave?
0: Yeah, um, let's take two steps back because I think we're probably, uh, and, you, and you even brought it up, we're probably a little bit over the heads of a, of a handful of people. Because right. the mechanical royalty, just from the basic, explain what a mechanical royalty is because that's what you're collecting. So
3: what is it? So a mechanical royalty um, is the royalty that's uh, earned for the distribution and re- or the reproduction and distribution of a musical work. So musical work is your song and lyrics, I'm sorry, your, your, your lyrics and melody, right? You might call it a composition or a song, but your musical work has, as a copyright owner of a musical work, you have a number of rights as, a, as a, uh, exclusive rights, which includes the right to reproduce the musical work and the right to distribute the musical work. Those two rights together are granted to a user in the mechanical license. So, a mechanical license is the grant of the right to reproduce and the right to distribute a musical work. And in exchange, you get paid a royalty, and that royalty are mechanical royalties. Um, the term mechanical comes from, um, you know, it dates back to really the early 1900s uh, when musical works were mechanically reproduced in piano rolls, um, and that established the, the terminology. Um, so, even though technically speaking, what we're doing is, is not mechanical at all because we're dealing with interactive streams and digital downloads, so therefore not physical. Um, the terminology still re- refers to a time where it was physical. Um, so mechanical royalties are earned uh, for a lot of different types of, of use cases, um, such as distributing a uh, musical work embodied in a sound recording to a digital service provider such as Spotify or Apple Music. Um, it can be earned for digital downloads like iTunes or Bandcamp. Um, it can be earned um, for creating a cover song. So if you're an artist and doing a cover of another artist song, that therefore you are uh, reproducing um, that musical work um, in your new work. And um, so, there, so those are, and then also obviously physical, physical goods. So CDs, vinyl, cassettes, um, all every time one of those are you know created pressed up or or manufactured um, those each of those um, media um, um, contributes to earning mechanical royalties so we're the organization M- MLC responsible for a- administering the new blanket mechanical license which is specifically for interactive streams um, we're not administering um, voluntary licenses so if they If a publisher goes direct to a DSP and and issues a mechanical license, um, then they will handle that work themselves outside of the MLC. Uh, So any kind of voluntary or direct license um, is handled outside of the MLC. And uh, we handle administering the blanket mechanical license, which was born out of the passing of the Music Modernization Act of 2018. So to be clear,
0: and and that was great. for those listening, we're not talking about the recording at all. We're talking about the underlying song. So this has nothing to do with I'm a guitarist, I'm a keyboard player, I'm sing. There's nothing to do with that. We're just talking about songwriting, so songwriters and music publishers. So now this mechanical rate. Let's talk about the statutory rate. Explain what the statutory rate is and how it's different when compared to a download and a physical product versus a stream.
3: Sure, um, so the statutory rate is a rate set by the Copyright Royalty Board, um, and which is a panel of three judges. Um, and the Copyright Royalty Board will um, uh, review the rates and, 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 um, um, and take input from the industry and ultimately publish a new rate every few years. Um, there are different rates for different types of, of uh, use cases. So starting with the most simplest rate, which is a 9.1 cents rate, um, has to do with downloads of, um, digital audio files that embodies that, uh, a, a musical work. Uh, so like, you know, again, like iTunes, uh, for example, um, as well as physical goods. So every time a song is, um, um, included in, in a physical product, so CD or vinyl, um, it you know, earns a, uh, rate, uh, a, a mechanical royalty, which is 9.1 cents. Um, it, that is, if the song is, if the song is over five minutes, though, it has a different rate, which is, I believe it's 1.76 or 1.75 cents um, per second, um, per minute, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, so longer, the longer uh, the song is, the longer, the more real you know, royalty uh, it, it were earn. Now, those are the simple rates. The more complicated rates are the rates associated with interactive streaming. Um, And there's different types of streaming. There's uh, streaming that's... um, uh, And there's also uh, um, like music lockers. Um, There's uh, ringtones, there's cover songs and so forth. But interactive streaming is a formula. It's not a rate. Um, And the formula begins with a percentage of revenue of the service. That percentage is what the CRB... Um, sets um, the CRB um, previously approved um, an increase in that percentage, um, and that and that um, and that is being uh, appealed um, by DSPs. Um, so we don't really know what the final um, rate will be, uh, the, or the percentage of revenue will be until the proceedings, um, until the CRB you know, makes a final determination on what that uh, percentage will be. Um, right now we're operating off of the the last rate. Uh, The CRB rates, Um, and um, eventually there'll be uh, there'll be a new rate, uh, or again a new percentage of revenue. But the way it sort of works is a percentage of the services revenue is put into a pool, um, and uh, and then that pool of of money is basically distributed to um, publishers based on their share of streams, Um, and that's you know pretty much how the you know kind of a high level version of the, the formula.
0: And then I guess whatever's left over goes to self-administered songwriters who aren't signed to a publisher.
3: Well, they will be, self, they'll, they'll be included in that pool. Um, so it's just basically two rights holders. Um, it's, it's, based on the, it's based on the work. So if, um, if I have a song and you have a song and you're represented by Sony TV and I'm self-administered, we're both in the same pool. It's just that your royalties will flow through Sony TV. And mine will flow through the MLC as a self-administered songwriter.
0: Okay, that makes that clear. Talk about a song is streamed, and this is the thing that you were talking about earlier: how people didn't realize that when a, they go to DistroKid, they upload a song, they get, uh, they see that some revenues coming in after a few months. Uh, you know, it might be twelve dollars, it might be fifty dollars, might be a couple thousand, whatever. Um, that does not include the mechanical royalty. Can you explain that part of it?
3: So yes, well sort of yes and no sort of situation. Um, when you upload your music to uh, a DSP from an aggregator like DistroKid, um, the aggregator job is to su- submit the, uh, the sound recording, right? right. The musical work is, is embodied in the sound recording, but the aggregator is paid for the sound recording. So the money that DistroKid will receive is for the, um, you know, the use of that sound recording on the service. The service DSP has to also pay performance royalties and mechanical royalties. What they're paying to the um, um, to the DSP um, is on for the master side, right? The master side royalties, the wholesale uh, um, uh, income. So this DSP has to also pay performance rights uh, royalties to PROs like ASCAP, BMI, CSEC, and then they must also pay um, the um, mechanical right, which if they're, if they're operating under the new blanket mechanical license, then they'll be obligated to pay the MLC. If they are not operating under the blanket license, then they'll, that means they're paying direct. And that direct payment could flow through um, an agent like a Harry Fox or or Music Reports, um, or they can be working directly with the publisher, like, like, like it's the case with a major publisher. So there's different sort of pipe, pipes through which mechanical royalties will flow. Uh, we Work specifically on the, um, you know, the the blanket, so the blanket license. If you're operating under the blanket license, then you're paying the MLC. If you're not operating under the blanket license, then you could be paying many different parties.
0: So um, I'm just my, I'm me. I upload a song. It's um it streams. Um, I I need to sign up with the MLC because and I use DistroKit, for example. So I should be under the assumption that because I uploaded a song that it's through the blanket license? Like how how would somebody know that they need to do music reports or Harry Fox or MLC?
3: Well, that's the catch because you, you, well, there's one way to sort of know because on our website, you can see all the notices from the DSPs who've made it known because they're public. They have to do that under the law. They have Mm -hmm. to um, basically announce that they're operating under the, um, under the license, the blanket license. So you can go and see that on our website. Um, but other than that, you know, if you're an independent artist who's not really, you know, checking that stuff, then you're not gonna know. Um, and if you're a self-administered songwriter, you know, there's a lot of places you simply don't know how it works on the back end, which is why I said I started at Right Street because it was so complicated to to track down all these different things. Um now there's there's things you can do, like you can hire a publishing administrator. Um and there's a couple of you know, there's a couple of big ones that are kind of catch-all that they'll anyone allow anyone to sign up for a fee. Um, but you know, you're not gonna necessarily get the sort of you know custom um, um service as you get with a smaller publisher that offers publishing administration s- service. Um so those publishing administrators, are, their job is to register the works and collect royalties on your behalf and to go out there and, and track down your royalties. Um, but, as, but again, that means you're giving up a percentage um, and you have to make sure basically it's worth it. It's worth it. Um, the other option is to, you know, again, do it yourself. And um, in which case, you, know, you can go from one platform to the next and um, learn about how to get paid um, or you can use uh, you know, a number of services that are out there trying to help artists to kind of be their own advocate. And uh, um, we partnered, I, I had a third-party partnerships, and one of the first things I wanted to do was make sure that the MLC was partnered with, um, with some companies. And uh, we've done that already with Music Data Services, with Exactuals, with Tune Registry, with Blocker, and with FistX. And we enable songwriters to uh, participate in our Data Quality Initiative Program, which is a program um, to check your data Against the data in our system, so that you can identify any discrepancies, and uh, um, basically, you know, respond, act on those discrepancies, so that you can un- unlock royalties and prevent or limit, you know, the possibility of more royalties falling into the black box. So that was an initiative I thought was really important off the bat.
0: Talk about. Um... Shoot, I just... Okay, uh, let's move for a sec to the compulsory license, which is the fact that when, when a song is uh, initially released, once, a, once that happens, anybody can do a cover version of that song. Um, the copyright law allows that, and that's called a compulsory license. Uh, the way it's been in the past is if I'm going to record Purple Rain by Prince and put it on my new album and release it, I actually need to go to like the Harry Fox agency or song... View, I think, you know, song file that Harry Fox owns and basically uh, let them know and, and pay sort of an upfront fee um, to officially license it so that Prince gets his mechanical royalty for that song. Now that you exist, I was on a, uh, a webinar. The MLC has been doing webinars for months now all around the country. And I um, was on a webinar and Serona Elton, who um, does what we do, in a university in Florida is also part of the MLC, uh, you know, working with you at MLC. Uh, She mentioned that um, you don't need to do that anymore. And I want to make sure that this is right. You don't need to file a mechanical, I'm sorry, a compulsory license anymore. If I do a cover song and I just release it in digital form, um, I can just upload it through my aggregator and I don't have to do anything because you guys are collecting the mechanical royalty and I don't have to do anything. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, that's correct. Um, mm-hmm. But the key is what you said if it's digital only. Now, if you're doing physical, like you're, if you're doing a cover song and it's going to, that cover song is going to appear on your album and you're doing a vinyl or CD version of your album, um, well, that's not going to flow through the MLC. And you will still be responsible for the mechanical rights administration to the, responsible to the, um, um, responsible to the um, publisher.
0: Right, rights holder, or yeah.
3: Yeah, the rights holder. So you still need to you know, have that process in place on how you're going to pay them on a monthly basis um, in accordance with the Section 115 of the Copyright Act. So if I'm doing a cover song and then it's going to end up on my vinyl record, I still have to pay the, the copyright owner or their publisher um, 9.1 cents per vinyl um, for each song. And that means you need to. Contact them and reach them and do that. We don't do that at the MLC.
0: No, not, but that, that's a good thing to understand because a lot of people, a lot of people don't make physical product anymore, and they want to do that cover song. And that you guys actually make it a lot easier to just record a song whenever I want, and I could just put up cover songs every day, as long as it's not physical in the physical world, and I don't have. I can. I can. The then the person I would collect a royalty from DistroKid, for example, for the master. And then you guys are collecting and paying
3: the songwriters and uh, publishers. Well, let me also add some more confusion to that. (laughs) Um, You could every day record a new cover song in your home, upload that audio file via DistroKid onto all the DSPs, start earning income from the master and not have to worry about the backend publishing distribution to the songwriter and publisher because that is the responsibility of the DSP. But as soon as you perform your cover song in an audio-visual format, like on YouTube or Mm -hmm. Instagram or Twitch or TikTok, that is a totally different beast because we are uh, Mm audio-only service. Um, And so not audio-visual because the audio-visual version of that is a sync. Um, And technically you as the end user, the the person making the cover song and doing audio-visual work, are supposed to get a sync license.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Each platform has their own business uh, affairs in regards to sync, and uh, you know their whether or not they're paying publishers for music um, that is uh, uh, being used and videos on their platform. Obviously, YouTube has Content ID, which enables publishers to be able to um, uh, identify and um, claim works and um, throw, you know, advertisement on it and get paid some money that way. Um, and then they also pay, um, you know, performance royalties to PROs. Um, so audiovisual works is, is not a mechanical. Um, and uh, if you're doing uh, video of your, of your cover and then posting it up, um, then, you know, that situation is basically between you, the creator, the platform, and the rights holder. Uh, but the MLC is not involved in that situation.
0: Okay. A lot of people out there have been using Song Trust, for example, or um using a, a combination of Harry Fox and music reports to collect their mechanical royalties. Do they continue and keep doing that, or do they not need to do that? And then they can go sign up for the MLC and now upload all their metadata to the MLC?
3: So that that's a great question because. The answer is yes, and maybe. <laughs> so, um, The MLC is only administering the blanket license for interactive streams and downloads in the United States. Um, so if there are interactive streams outside the United States, like in Canada or Mexico, then you have to have a method for collecting those royalties. It doesn't not flow through the MLC. Um, that could be a publishing administrator like SongTrust. Um, or an independent publisher that are members of AIMP, uh, which is Association for Independent Music Publishers. Um, so, you, if you have a song on Spotify UK and Spotify US, well, your streams, your mechanical royalties for Spotify US will flow through the MLC. Your mechanical royalties for Spotify UK will go to MCPS, and uh, that is going to be outside of our reach because it's not the US. Therefore, you have to have a way. Of collecting your mechanical royalties from that organization in that territory and the same thing with every other territory france you know sasim and germany gamma um, you need to be able to collect your royalties and that's where the benefit of a publishing administrator comes into play is collecting those outside of the united states royalties you can collect your u.s royalties direct from the mlc with no administrative costs so you get 100 percent your royalties but you're going to need a partner for collecting outside the united states that, so that's that's in regards to XUS royalties. Now, as far as within the United States, there are, like I said before, there are still mechanical royalties earned for stuff that the NLC does not administer. Ringtones, cover songs, physical goods, um, voluntary licenses for direct downloads. Um, all of those uh, types of things, as well as other types of um, bundled rights um, will still be processed by companies like Harry Fox and Music Reports. Um, so you still need a relationship with those companies for those other types of royalties that do not flow through the MLC. Uh, so you need both the MLC relationship to join join the MLC, but you also need to maintain a relationship with those agencies because they're representing um, music apps, startups, digital media companies, um, you know, fitness apps like Peloton. Um, you know, they're doing you know in-store music services uh, like SiriusXM XM and you know things like that. Not serious, I'm sorry, like Music Choice, uh, Music, um, Musac, or Play Network. Um, So there are other types of uh, mechanical royalty uh, use cases that uh, we do not administer at the MLC, and you would still need those uh, organizations uh, working with you. So you can see how
0: confusing this can be for, you know, that's why you created startups. Marconi, can you see how confusing this could be for just about anybody?
2: Absolutely, yeah. yeah.
3: Well, I mean, look, this this was um, a part of the confusion during the negotiations, developing the you know the MMA, the Music Modernization Act, um, and the various stakeholders and parties um, arguing their pers- perspectives and their um, needs. As a matter of fact, this piece, this this um, although we exclusively administer the um, uh, the blanket license, um, you know, the ability for um, agencies to be able to continue to participate in um, administering mechanical rights was something that they, they pushed for um, and advocated for um, and uh, you know they were able to get they were able to get that into the, the final version of the bill that became law um, so um, you know it's important to know that there are mechanical royalties that do not flow through the MLC um, and to obtain those mechanical royalties you have to um, you know, be affiliated, not affiliated, affiliated, but you need to have a relationship with uh, these other uh, companies, these, these for-profit companies, um, and also realize that that means that there's going to be a percentage taken out from an administrative fee of some sort. Mm-hmm.
2: Is that, Does Merlin do this for the independents outside of the U.S.?
3: Excuse me, what was the question?
2: Does Merlin do this for, out, uh, for outside the U.S. for the Indies.?
3: Um, I can't speak on behalf of what Merlin does, but I am familiar with Merlin and Merlin's, um, you know, primarily um, negotiates digital deals and, um, and help record labels um, and distributors with their relationship with uh, digit, uh, DSPs. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not believe Merlin is involved in actually collecting any royalties. I think they're more um, involved with negotiating the deals that labels um, enter into with uh, DSPs, um, it's like sort of like the RIAA would do for, um, um, you know, the industry you know, negotiation between big industry stakeholders, stakeholders. But um, yeah, Merlin, I believe, primarily focuses on um, digital um, master rights for uh, um, labels and, distrib- and distributors. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, sound recording. So yeah, um, so we are at the witching hour for you. All right, we're where we needed to be. So we got. Uh, do you think there's any final thing that you wanted to get out that you think is, yeah. is common that people don't know? Mm.
3: Well, a couple of things. Um, you know, all artists should know that just because you did not collect your mechanical royalties, you know, previously, doesn't mean. you you know, they're not due to you still. Um, We have recently received $424 million in historical unmatched royalties um, that goes as far back as 2007. Um, And we're responsible for matching that information to the proper rights holders and the payees and to distribute those royalties. Um, So, you know, if you're an artist and you put out music prior to January 1st, 2020, um, sorry, 2021, and you've never collected mechanical royalties, then it's it's you know it's imperative that um, you join the MLC for free, register your, your, your uh, songs, include your ISRC codes, which are your international standard recording codes, which is our identifier for the sound recordings, um, and then help us match um, the usage information that we have for sound recordings to your musical works so that we can allocate royalties to you from that $424 million pool and pay you out. Um, That's going to begin in August. Um, This month, we're doing our first distribution of royalties. And then our distribution will continue every single month going forward. Um, So this month, we're distributing royalties that were earned in January this year. Um, And then next month, we'll be be distributing royalties that were earned earned in February. And so it's a 75-day window. Uh, But um, so that's for current royalties. But historical royalties, uh, we're going to start distributing that um, and around about August September area.
0: So, Doctor Esteban Marconi here was in a band in the early seventies called Jam Factory, and they put out how many albums did you guys put out? Just just the one?
2: Put out one album and one independent single.
0: So <laughs> you you wrote how many songs were you uh, a participating writer? I, I I was a half of one. Half of one. Okay, so you personally could sign up for the MLC.
3: Because maybe, yeah. what was the name of the song? I'm curious.
2: The name of the song?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Name of the, that song was Brothers Gemini.
0: Okay. He's looking it up. Yeah. Nowhere. 424 million. You got to get 10% of that
2: <laughs> from Brothers Gemini. ASCAP member.
3: That was my
0: prom theme.
3: Now you will have to, you will have to register because I don't see it in the public work search, um, but uh, you have to make sure that it works, is, is probably registered. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's again, that's what writers have to do is make sure that it's registered. And not only is it registered, make sure that your shares are registered because right. the song can be registered, but not all shares are registered. Right.
0: Similar thing happened when um, Sound Exchange started because Sound Exchange was looking for people, you know, because sound yeah. similar in a, in a way to Sound Exchange, um, mm-hmm. collecting on behalf of uh, sound recording copyright owners. And so they uh, were, you know, I'm going back seven, eight years, you know, they were reaching out and reach and, and all that. So, sure. Interesting. So you got to go, Day. You should get out of here. We don't want you anymore. You're, you're too smart for us. So well,
3: thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All always loved having these conversations. So uh, feel free to circle back to me in the future if you want to like to have You got it. Thanks today.
0: Goodbye. Thank you. Best okay. of luck. Thank you. All right. So that was
2: good.
0: There's a lot, lot. That was a thick, thick, quick pot. That was thick and quick. That one.
2: Yeah, it was not actually too quick, but I'm glad you did what you did. And that brought it back to syllable one.
0: Yeah, because
2: I, I background on him, but I'm glad you brought it back to um, MLC, basically.
0: Yeah, most people don't understand when they upload their song and it goes into, you know, they, they see money in their bank account from whether it's TuneCore, CD Baby, DistroKid, whatever. And they see that $125, they think that's everything. And they don't realize it does not include the songwriting or the public performance which yeah. your ASCAP. So um, that's why it's these guys are actually really important that they're doing that they're doing this that they exist and it's free to sign up so anybody listening you should go check it out sign up it will cost you nothing but time because then you write right. for it and then upload like as Dave was just telling you you could do it and you would find all the metadata that you know of for
2: your song right and people should understand we're talking about songwriters here exactly this is all songwriting it has nothing to do with the recording right. artist or, uh, okay. Yes. Oh, wait. We got to sign off.
0: Yes, we need to sign off. So let us sign off. So we appreciate you, Dr. Stavon, for being here with us. Yes, today. You. you too. And I will soon be joining you. That's right. You will be Simon. coming back to scenic, the Garden State, the scenic place right. in New Jersey. So for everybody in the world who's listening, thank you so much for doing so. And at the end of every show, we don't say hello because that would be the dumbest thing we ever did because we're leaving you. I'm leaving you. We're breaking up. So, in that case, we're going to say, yeah? Adios!
1: Adios! 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 I could be whatever you need, and then some affair to see all your worst nightmares. there.